This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, boomers, to another episode of Warp 5, Trek FM's dedicated enterprise show. I'm your host, Floyd Dorsey, and I'm looking across the mess hall for my co-host, Jeff Harlan. He said he was going to grab a table before dinner rush got here, but, uh, oh, there he is. How's it going, Jeff? Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, you know, like they, uh, like they say, a uh, time traveler is never late. They always arrive right when they intend to. Oh, yes, exactly. Hey, and for tonight's dinner and discussion, we're joined in the mess hall by a special guest. He's the creator of Star Trek Horizon and has been a frequent guest here on Warp 5. Of course, I'm talking about none other than Mr. Tommy Craft. How's it going, Tommy? Oh, just lovely. Thank you. I just uh, I came from the bridge. I came down to the mess hall just to eat with you guys uh, because I like you guys. Nice. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and get this thing started here. I know, Tommy, Star Trek Horizon, we're almost there. The time has almost come. What are you feeling right now with the release date so close? Uh, well, I'm really just uh, feeling that it's great <laughs> to have it done. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the movie, and I, I've loved the experience of doing it for the past three years. And for anybody who doesn't know, just briefly, Star Trek Horizon is a fan film that I've written, directed, executive produced, uh, did ev- pretty much did everything on it. Uh, and so it's coming out on the 28th in two days. It just feels really good to have it done. And uh, it feels, you know, there's a nice sense of accomplishment. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, I, I saw the trailer. Uh, Norm Lau actually uh, messaged me the trailer back uh, in the fall and I was sitting in my car and wow, I hooked it up to my car speakers. I turned it up. It was awesome, but I was totally blown away. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I, I've never heard it on car speakers before, so it's good to know it sounds good in a car. <laughs> I was on, yeah, I was on my phone with car speakers. It sounded so good. Oh, cool. So what is the, what's the official release date, Tommy? Uh, the official release date for the public is February 28th. So I think uh, if this comes out on the 26th, then it should be two days from from now. And uh, it'll be on YouTube, and you can just search it. Go to our Facebook page, or facebook.com slash horizon, or go to startrekhorizon.com, all one word. And it'll be there, too, the link there. Very good. And Tommy, are you going to take a vacation? Are you going to go ahead to Ryza after this, or are you going to jump right back into another project? Uh, well, see, the thing is, I've already written, like, at least five different... <laughs> movies 
uh, in the process of finishing Horizon. So I think the chances of me uh, taking a big break are pretty slim to none. Uh, but, you know, it, it's it's what I do, I guess. Well, we'll go ahead and we'll put you to work here tonight. Uh, we're going to be talking about the end of season one on our Enterprise retrospective. And um, boy, we Jeff and I, we've we've had a couple of other guests on so far for season one. And this is this has been a lot of fun. We've just been hitting the high notes of season one. And uh, right now we've got we got some nice episodes here to finish with. So the episodes that we're going to be discussing tonight, Boomers, are Oasis through Shockwave Part 1. So finishing out that uh, this, this freshman season. And, and also, as we've mentioned on previous Warp 5s, future shows this year will continue further discussions of overall themes. But for this show, we wanted to discuss what it's like to find a haunted shipwreck, meet a very alien alien that just wants to hug, and get some much-deserved shore leave, or at least try, I guess. All right, gentlemen, so for this first topic, we're going to talk about Oasis. So, Tommy, what did you think about seeing Odo? Well, uh, I thought that was one of the better parts of the episode, and I have to preface it by saying there isn't an episode of Enterprise that I don't like, but there are episodes that I like less, um, and I think this is one of them. Uh, You know, there... I'm sure we'll get into it, but um, uh, Odo, I uh, I always like Rene Abergenois. He's a tremendous actor, and you know he always is able to bring something different to every one of his roles. And he's got some of the most expressive eyes I've ever seen. And so he really is makes you able to connect with his characters, just like he did with Odo, and just like he did here. And he makes you feel for him. So I thought it was a great, it was a nice little nod to to other Star Trek uh, to see him in this episode. All right. Well, hey, Jeff. Uh, boy, I I was very excited to see Odo on the screen. What did, What did you think about it? Well, he'll always be Colonel West to me. Um, <laughs> first time I ever saw him on Star Trek was uh, Star Trek Six, and it's funny because you know I'm a military brat, so I was in Germany at the time, so I saw it in a German movie theater, and. What was released here in the U.S. as the director's cut was the theatrical cut over there. So all the stuff with Operation Retrieve and Colonel West was there in the theater when I saw it the first time. So that's always been part of the movie for me. And I, I it, it kind of takes me a bit to uh, wrap my head around it not being in there for everyone else. Yeah, I'm I'm actually more of a DS9 fan than that. I mean, I, I, I appreciate the kernelness of it, but to me, uh, to, to me, Renee, he, he's the shapeshifter, you know, well, this was a couple of years before DS nine came out. So I just have to ask, was he not in the original cut of undiscovered country? Cause every time I watch that movie, he's in it. Uh, like, yeah, a- it was, uh, there was like a theatrical cut and a director's cut and the, the home video release was like the director's cut of it which was also the theatrical cut in Europe. But apparently there was a cut that was released theatrically in the U.S. that did not have him. So they like cut out that scene where he's uh, briefing the president about their plan mm-hmm. to get back Kirk? As far as I understand it, yeah. Oh, wow. I never knew that. That's because that's just always been part of the movie for me, too. Mm-hmm. I loved him in that role. Yeah, it, it was it was great. I think the, the biggest omission in that version of the film was... Uh, the bit with him at the end, you know, the Scooby-Doo reveal. <laughs> they cut that out. How do you cut that out? Uh, they had the, the other cut of the film. It was basically just, they showed a Klingon getting shot and falling out the window. Oh, but, wow. That's you know, dumb. 
Yeah. Okay, it, guys. It, yeah, we're we're digressing on this, so yeah. uh, I'll I'll get back on. Uh, <laughs> I'll go back on this. But, That's, uh, is, I'm, I'm getting the feeling that Oasis isn't really grabbing the attention of everyone here. Well, uh, just get, the, just part of it, it was part of it was because you know the first time I saw it, it was called Shadow Play on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. True, true, true. Uh, the the storyline is very similar, and it was a DS9 episode, so we got Rene Abershinwan in both episodes. It almost makes you right, wonder if right. they did that on purpose. <laughs> Maybe. One thing that I thought was really cool about this was, though, is the the shipwreck, whether it was haunted mm-hmm. or not. Just that was really cool. I thought, you know, just think, harkening back to thinking of when I was a kid watching original series, and when they found Zephyrin Cochran, I just imagine that's what a, what a shipwreck could have looked like on a planet. So I thought that was pretty cool. But anyway. Uh, listeners, if you would like to talk, tell us about your experiences watching Odo on various Star Trek shows, please let us know in the Babel Conference or wherever you are in Trek FM land. You can also leave us a voice message at go to speakpipe.com slash Trek FM, and we'd love to play your message here on the show. So the next point that we have here was detained, and this this one's got a little bit more uh, meat to it. This this episode, it, it has some deep messages, I thought. Allegory for World War II internment camps, but also was giving maybe a view of the world at the time. So, Tommy, how did you how did you think they worked with that? Well, I think this episode is even more important now that we have guys like Donald Trump almost winning the presidential election here in the United States. And, uh, you know, for anybody who's conservative and disagrees with me, I'm sorry. But I mean, you know, we, we live in a world now where it's normal place for very popular people to talk about throwing an entire group of people out of a country because they're that group of people. And so I think the message in this episode, and you see even uh, Captain Archer kind of falls for this a little bit too, because he, he thinks, you know, they're Suleban, they're all Suleban. Uh, and so he has to retrain himself too. To realize that just because there's Suleban in these jail, they may not be extremists like some other Suleban. And, you know, it's it was important at the time because that was, you know, not long after or right around the time of 9-11 in the States. But, you know, now as dealing with the fallout of all, all these years later from 9-11, it's still a relevant episode. It goes right back to the classic stuff that TOS used to do at times, stuff that's still relevant all these years later. Those are some of the best shows. And uh, I think they handled the issues very well here in this episode. And, of course, just the fun factor of seeing, you know, um, wh- what's his face from Quantum Leap with Scott Bakula. <laughs> I always forget his name, but I love him. Uh, but he's great. Dean Stockwell. Yes, that's it. I knew it was Dean something. All I got was Dean Kane, but I knew that wasn't right. That's Superman. Yeah, I thought I I absolutely agree. I thought this gave a great uh, a message just in the Star Trek way that they always slip political messages in. Um, just because they look a certain way doesn't mean that they actually are the enemy. Right. Um, so taking this back all the way back, World War II internment camps, you had the Japanese Americans being detained just because of the way they looked. And they were saying it was for their own protection, but it goes both ways on that. Then you turn right around in the time of 9-11, everyone that looked a certain way could have been a terrorist. 
So this this episode and took it's it. still that way. They, exactly. And they applied it to aliens. And I thought Archer kind of he kind of got it pushed out in his face right there a little bit. You know, you're jumping to conclusions. What did you, what did you think about that, Jeff? Yeah, I remember uh, 9-11 was like two weeks before the first episode of the series aired. And uh, so at that point, they were still writing and filming episodes for the end of the season. And right after the attacks, we had a, just a huge wave of like Islamophobia and just some really severe racist uh, stuff going on. And I think this episode was written directly in response to that. And I think it was uh, very prescient of them to uh, go with the internment camp angle because it wasn't long after this that we got things like Guantanamo Bay, which uh, also, you know, this episode could have very well been a response to that as well. Oh, I was thinking about that also myself. And also in this episode, we actually had the quantum leap reunion. And I've got, I've got to tell you guys every, whenever they bring Archer into the office and Dean Stockwell turns around, I just want the camera to zoom in on Bacula's face and him go, Oh boy. <laughs> or something like that. I, I have my own commentary for this episode when I watch it. So they should have filmed that. an outtake, uh, you know, like just, just filmed one version of that scene where they did that just for fun and put it on the DVD or whatever. That would have been quite amusing. Right. Mm-hmm. And had uh, Stockwell talking to Ziggy, sl- you yeah. know, punching really hard on a tablet or something. Right. And I'm sure Scott Bakula would have been up for it. I kind of wish they could have brought Colonel Brat back. Oh, yeah. That would have been a great character to bring back. They could have easily. Uh, done additional stories with that planet. Very good. Well, let's go on to the next point here. The The next episode we had was Vox Sola. And the notes that I had on this was, this guy just wants to get to know us, or maybe he just wants a hug. I'm not sure. I thought this was a very interesting concept. And the language, the look, the CGI in the, in the storage compartment area, eh, I don't know, but for the most part, I thought this looked really, really good. What do you think about this episode, Tommy? I think it's a great episode. I think it's actually one of those episodes where it's like, this is what the whole show is about. Because like the whole Enterprise is based on the whole concept of the Explorer's heart. You know, that's what Captain Archer is. That's what his character represents. That's what the crew represents. And, you know, this is a very alien life form. It's not, you know, your alien forehead of the week. It is something where you're truly flying into the unknown and meeting a new type of life form. And the way they handled it was really brilliant. And also, by the way, there were interesting moral questions in this episode, too, because Malcolm wanted to kill the creature and Phlox wouldn't let him, you know. And, is uh, and you know, when I was watching, that's something I had a knee-jerk reaction to. I thought, well, maybe you should just let him take it out. But as you can see, the whole idea of shoot first and send flowers later here turned out to be something that there was a good thing they didn't do. So there's a lot of great things in this episode. And that moment where Hoshi's finally able to communicate with it, uh, it still gives me goosebumps every time I watch it because it's just so well done. And man, and the language that they used on that, it was just so alien. It was just as alien as it looked. It was, to it was, I, I agree. The goosebumps on this is really great. And I'm, I'm thinking, I know what Jeff's thinking on this. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I know what Mr. Ataz is thinking on this. I'm thinking <laughs> devil in the dark, but I don't know. Is that, were you thinking maybe, maybe, maybe some devil in the dark here, Jeff? Well, there's definitely some of that going on in this. Um, but I was also thinking of some of the other, you know, non-humanoid aliens that have shown up on Star Trek and very rare to see that. And this is only one of a handful that I can think of. 
and most of the ones that I can think of are from the animated series where the budget wasn't a restriction. Right. So it, it was it was really neat to see them pull off something like that where you have something that is just so completely foreign and then they actually manage to end up finding a way to communicate with it and get it back to its home. And then you see an entire planet covered with this life form. And then they reveal, oh, it's not a colony. It's one big life form. That was so awesome. That was so cool. The way it ended like that, it was that, to get to see it from like from huge way back. And then, wow, to think that that's one life form and you're able to communicate with it. Talk about first contact. That is truly that was truly the NX-01's mission right there. Seek out new life and new, maybe not a civilization, but at least one. It's a lot better than Sluggo. We, it'd be really cool, too, to, uh, you know, you know, to think about the headcanon, too, of that life form and how it evolved. Because it's so foreign to the evolutionary process on our planet. Like, what would, like, what kind of uh, natural selection would have to take place to have an organism that large that would cover that much ground and be that you know, be one organism, that kind of stuff I find very fascinating to think about. And it's unfortunately the kind of thing you don't get time to cover in your 40 minute TV episode. But uh, it's an interesting question that gets raised in these shows. Yeah, the closest thing I can think of to that on Earth, there's a a species of tree that there's an interconnected root system and it looks like an entire forest, but it's actually really just one plant. Oh, really? That's cool. I hadn't heard of that. Do you know uh, what it is? Yeah, I can't remember what it's called, but I remember reading about it uh, several years ago. That's cool. I'll have to look that up. That might be where they got the idea. Who knows? That kind of thing. Well, I know this was a very alien alien, and that's sometimes what Star Trek kind of budgetary reasons they always got picked on for is because it was a a different nose or a different forehead or something, but they definitely went all for broke on this. And they took advantage of the CGI of the time. And just imagine what the new series is going to be able to do with the technology that we have. On anyone's desktop, they have technology to be able to do CGI work like that. So moving on, fellas, we have Desert Crossing. And on this this one, you know, they're, they're playing stickball in the desert in the middle of the day. So I'm sure the, you know, a lot of people appreciate, I guess, the scenery of that, that episode, but I, um, one of the things that always stuck out to me on this was when a Star Trek ship pulls up to a planet, how do they actually know who to dial up? Who do they know to how, who to actually contact? So Tommy, have you ever thought about that? You know, now that you mentioned it, I actually haven't. That's a really good question. Uh, I would assume they just beam out a, a signal and, it, you know, whoever answers first, that's who you get. But I mean, what if you get like a, you know, UFO hunter, Agent Mulder, who picks up the signal first and responds and not like your big government you're contacting? Um, that's a really good question. I, I hadn't thought about that, but I will say, unrelated to probably thought anything else we'll talk about with this episode, the best part of it is undoubtedly Zabral's voice. One of the oh, best yeah. voices out there. Clancy Brown well, I, has an awesome voice. Yeah. I loved his Lex Luthor. <laughs> I'm thinking, wasn't he in Highlander? Oh yes. Yes, yes. Okay. That's that's where I know him from. He was he was the he was the big bad guy in Highlander, right? Um so Jeff, I'm I'm just I just that hits me on this episode because they they actually are talking to the wrong guy. 
And I'm sure they worked that all out for uh, Captain Kirk <laughs> later on. <laughs> Did you have anything that stood out to you on this episode or any kind of uh, theme or any uh, tidbit that you that stood out to you? Well, that was that was one of the things that I, I enjoyed about it was their inexperience showed in this mission that, you know, you don't just go to the first person you meet, uh, you know, that might turn out to be somebody who's uh, in the middle of a revolution or something. And, you know, you, you don't want to get bogged down in that. And uh, it, it, it actually that uh, is something that gets brought up later uh, in some of the original series books, too, um, that I, I really enjoyed. It, it was it was an interesting story, especially uh, um, the setup where uh, everything seems to be perfectly normal. Uh, they're having a good time, having dinner, playing games, and then oh no, you can't leave! <laughs> and then the roof literally falls in on them. Yeah. Hey, I, now Tommy, you've you've got it for me now. The X Files connection is that's a headcanon <laughs> thing for me now. When I watch yeah. this episode, I'm going to be thinking of uh, yeah. somebody like uh, Woody Harrelson's character from uh, <laughs> from the disaster movie. You know, the guy that was always on the radio and podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, you should there, you should see uh, the uh, Babylon Five spinoff Crusade. They had a similar episode with some uh, X Files type aliens that pick up transmissions from earth nice and you know while we're here wouldn't that just be a great crossover Mulder and scully mm-hmm. go to the enterprise just saying i could see it happening another thing that i liked about this was their their uniforms like i really want those shirts those desert oh, yeah, khaki those type cool. shirts and the in the pants i really want those i think that would be a pretty easy cosplay they wore those again a few times oh yeah they did um and I liked when they would bring that kind of stuff out too. It showed like a level of connectivity to their previous storylines that you didn't really get in other Trek shows. Yeah, it just it's that kind of thing where like as a fan of it, somebody who actually watches it closely, you get to see those little elements come back in following shows. I thought that it was really neat. Yeah, it's it's definitely far removed from uh, the original series where they had temperature control for their uniforms. Did they really? Yeah, uh, Spock's brain when they beamed down, Kirk said, set your uniforms to 72 degrees. <laughs> I heard well, that on Scattered Orbit. I have never caught that. I have seen that episode, I don't know how many times, and I have never caught that. That is so awesome. Okay, gentlemen. Well, let's let's go ahead and move on to some shore leave. Uh, two days, two nights. Man, there was a lot of stuff going on in this episode. So, Tommy, what... What stood out to you? Like, what's the what's the the funnest thing that you saw about this episode? Uh, well, of course, uh, getting tied up in that uh, that bar or whatever. Uh, I mean, that just sounds like a great way to spend your night to me. I mean, eh. <laughs> but I mean, I you know, overall, I like this episode a lot. Actually, I think a lot of people don't like this episode for some reason because it's different. But I like a lot of the different things that they did with this episode. I like seeing the characters in that different element. I like seeing uh, Trip and Malcolm try to have fun and then get into trouble. And, of course, Hoshi's the only one that actually had a good time. Who would have thought? But uh, it was a fun episode, and there was still some good story in there, too. To be fair, Mayweather had a good time until he broke his uh, his arm. Right. What was the name of that game they played? Oh, he was actually, he was climbing the cliffs that changed. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was thinking of, uh, Yeah. well, there there was another one, too, where he was playing a game and he got hurt and Flox told him no more of that game or something like that. Maybe I'm thinking of a different one. 
Yeah, uh, it, was, it was something like 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 contact cow tipping or something, and on the yeah, that's the right, plant. yeah, that must be coming up in a future episode. But yeah, um, yeah that this I originally when I watched this episode and then I rewatched it several years later, I completely forgot. I thought Hoshi was in trouble. Like I thought that guy was up to no good over there. He looked like the swarmy, you know, I don't know dude over there was going to try to kidnap her or something. And she actually ended up having the best time out of all of them. I thought she was the one in trouble. So like so, the whole time you were sitting there waiting for the music to shift into a minor key, maybe some percussion to come in. What's coming next? What's around the next corner? He knocks her out. Of course, never happens. And then you get disappointed. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I was, yeah, it ended up being that the, the two boys got in trouble or actually all mm-hmm. three boys got in trouble and she turned yeah. out totally fine. And then getting to see her just sitting there d- using her language skills just for fun. That was, that was pretty cool. I would wish we could have seen a, even more of that before they brought in the UT. But I think it's pretty telling about her character that uh, her idea of having a good time on chore leave is basically <laughs> doing the exact same thing that she yes. does every day in her job. I think I can relate to that. <laughs> Almost like Scotty reading the technical manuals, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say that uh, John Billingsley absolutely stole the show oh, yeah. for me on this one. Yep. Flocks coming out of hibernation. It was yes, priceless. My, my boys enjoyed his his scenes of confused state, I guess you could say. And then at the end, when he, he ends up over on the bed, that there, it's just a bust out laugh with, when, with my two sons. So. The bloopers on that are hilarious, too, because uh, when he's doing that scene and Kelly Waymire just loses it. And she can't keep a straight face. Uh, when they, I, I don't blame her. I don't know how you do that kind of scene and keep a straight face. They're pros. Yeah. I, guess. I haven't actually got to see the bloopers yet, but are, are they on the Blu-rays? Yeah, they are. They're actually all quite amusing. Yeah. Okay. I have. I need to get into that. I've got the Blu-ray, uh, the full journey Blu-ray set. I need to get into that. I need to get into those uh, extras. Oh, they're yeah, all really good. There's deleted scenes and yeah. everything. They're they're really good. All right. Well, gentlemen, let's go ahead and move on to the next point. And it was actually shockwave part one. So we got another taste of the temporal cold war. Uh, the crew actually, uh, kind of looked like they stepped into the wrong spot again, made a mistake, uh, destroyed a whole colony. And then it turned out that they were actually being framed. So Tommy, we've been talking about, uh, the temporal cold war here and how it's just been kind of just, loosely being sprinkled in a little bit. But if we actually did a temporal cold war arc all at once, it could, it could, it seemed like it would be a tighter story, but what do you, what did you think about this particular one finishing out season one with them bringing back the temporal cold war? Well, first of all, I agree. And I think that's the problem of the time the enterprise came along. It was like right in the middle of that transitionary period for TV where you weren't really seeing serialized, like fully serialized shows, but you weren't seeing fully episodic stuff anymore either. And so a lot of shows were kind of doing this uh, in-between deal where they try to do that serialized thing where like three episodes a season, they continue their their overall arc. And for me, that just doesn't usually work as well. And it's the same with the Temporal Cold War because I like almost all the Temporal Cold War episodes a lot. I think it's a great idea. And if they had, you know, really 
put emphasis on it throughout the run of the show or that season or whatever and really given it a strong arc, I think it would have been great. As it stands, it's just kind of, you know, out of left field a bit where I think literally you had episode one, Temporal Cold War, episode 10, Temporal Cold War, and then, you know, this was... I think 24 or something like either way it's the final episode of the season temporal cold war again so it is sprinkled out and then so then when it comes along it just kind of loses impact but I mean as the episode by itself I like the episode I think it's a good episode there's a good cliffhanger at the end it's really like that dun 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 moment that leaves you hanging unfortunately not to digress too much into the next season but I think the continuation didn't really hold up to the cliffhanger and so but you know as this episode standalone, it's a good episode. I think there's a lot of tension. I just wish that this arc had been given more care throughout the run of the show. Because if it had been, this episode and further following episodes would have been that much better. Yeah, it really stands out in st- the season one that they, it was kind of being pushed on the writers or the creators. It wasn't really what they had, had planned out from the very beginning. They're just kind of fitting it in where they could fit it in. It kind of stands out a little bit here in the season one. Um, but if you really put those together now in this day and age, when we have our Blu-rays, we have our DVDs, we have our streaming. If you watch those episodes and you string them, make your own rewatch arc of just temporal cold war, it's actually pretty cool. You know, it's, uh, yeah, it is. Norm and I have talked about other time travel type shows, and like he's a big fan of continuum and as am i oh i love that show i yeah. i've i've actually seen a few episodes i need to get i need to get into it apparently because I'm, I'm apparently i'm missing out i'm the only one that isn't watching it right now but that if you're just gonna go all for broke and you're gonna have like department of temporal investigations or maybe just star trek temporal cold war and then that was the show it it could be something. It could really be something. But yeah, they just it just didn't seem like they were totally sold out for it. Well, I don't think it has to be either or. I don't think you necessarily need like full temporal Cold War, like 22 episode season or, you know, like what they had with three episodes of temporal Cold War. I think there's probably, you know, a healthy balance in there, too. And they did find that balance a little bit more once they got to season three and they actually started to play that stuff out more. But, uh, you know, it, there as always, there's a balance and. You know, I just don't think they quite found it. Yeah, I, I, I think what uh, um, it might have worked a little better if maybe they found a way to sprinkle a little bit here and there in an episode or two, in between the major story episodes, like leading up to Cold Front, have Daniel show up in the background and you know linger on him with the camera a little bit so we as the viewers can see there's something not quite right about him but then the payoff is a few episodes later that's one thing i've always wished they would do is that kind of thing like especially with daniels i remember thinking like it wouldn't have taken much planning Mm -hmm. you know and that's that's the kind of story buildup that you need where you just a few episodes before Mm -hmm. you show daniels in the background not that hard to do but it's that thing of them not committing voyager used to do that voyager did that Voyager did that like they'd have uh, a character show up for a scene or two and an ep- and they'd show up for a couple episodes before they killed him off. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Well, and we did get some continuing arcs in Voyager they too. They did that like, that was in the first couple of seasons of Voyager. Yeah. Uh, they that kind of started tapering off uh later on in the series, but for the first couple of seasons, they did stuff like that all the time. 
And I really appreciated that because it helped you kind of identify with these crew members. And then when they finally, you know, kill them off on the show, they've been, had a few episodes where you can kind of have more of a reaction to it. And I will say, too, that that's one thing Enterprise, I think, overall, though, did really well when it comes to killing off crew members is you still you felt very much like any death on the crew was a big deal even though you weren't really familiar with most of the crew but like i, I remember I, I don't remember which episode of tng it was it might have been best of both worlds uh i think that's what it was with the borg and picard was like we lost 18 crew members and then he just moved right on like didn't didn't barely acknowledge it or anything but you know when you have a ship Actually, i think that might have been uh q who oh it might have been you're right because when that section of the saucer got cut out in their very first encounter yeah you're right yeah and but I mean, when you have a thousand people on your crew and and you don't, you know, and so Enterprise at least did that really well. I thought for the most part, you felt like there were real consequences to the to what happened to the ship. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's so much closer to a future like our future. This season one is uh, as opposed to the yeah. luxurious or the futuristic maybe of Kirk's time or not even close to Picard's time. But I mean, they got a crew of 80 in a submarine going faster than they've ever gone, going farther than they've ever gone. And they need everybody. They can't just lose a few and then that's it. Because that would that's something to me also that stood out on this step on this season one, like just looking at this whole season one, is I needed I wish we could have seen more of the crew members. Just the background just yeah, the background players just walking by or back there helping. There's the one security guard that I really like a lot that he's usually in there a lot, but they didn't really show others doing that much in this season. And that could have been really, that could be some world building, you know, where we, where we have some lower decks, maybe B story, C story thing going on possibly. I don't know, but yeah, that was, it's such a small ship. I just wish we could have seen more of the others. Mm-hmm. And going back to the yeah. serialization thing, I just think that was like a level of serialization Enterprise wasn't prepared to commit to, you know, at that time. Yeah. It, that was something that was really only just getting started uh, in other shows. Like, yeah. uh, was it uh, Battlestar Galactica was only just starting up like right around the same time as this. Uh, I think it was like two years into Enterprise yeah. when that started. Boy, and if you're not ready for that, <laughs> you, can, you, you can't skip. <laughs> yeah. You can't yeah. skip on that. That is, wow, that is... That is one right after the other after the other when you get into that series. Yeah. And I, another thing I was thinking about with the uh, the Temporal Cold War was they just never really fleshed out the motivations of the key players. Like, what are their goals? And it's clear, especially in this two-parter, that the, even the writers have no idea who's <laughs> doing what or why. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, it seems like the future guy seems to be trying to prevent the uh, foundation of the Federation in one episode. And then later he's trying to make sure that it happens and he's trying to kill Archer, even though that will prevent the Federation from forming. But then he's trying to save Archer because he wants the Federation to form. And it's just totally inconsistent. And that's something that really needed to get fleshed out from day one. I think that comes from trying to write a plot twist when you don't have any idea of where your plot's going. Mm-hmm. I can just imagine this this wall of screens and he's wanting this one screen over here on B6 to have this picture going on. So let's do this to the ti- this timeline and let's see what happens in that one. Or that episode of Voyager, uh, I guess, Year of Hell, when... Is that the episode when they have the the yeah. cream ship? 
Yep. And they've got mm-hmm. all the, they're yeah. calculating all the possibilities and everything. That's my headcanon for future guy. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, actually, by the way, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. They, they didn't even know who he was. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to figure out his motivations when you don't even know who he is. Uh, and they were even throwing out radical ideas like, well, maybe future guy is like Archer from some dystopian future where he got sent further into the future and he's trying to repair the timeline to prevent him himself from making the mistakes that led to that timeline. And I'm like, that doesn't even work because in a previous episode he was trying to kill himself. (laughs) Yeah. It's a terrible idea. I remember when I first read that too, that they were considering it being Archer. It's like, that is a terrible idea. Like of all the possibilities, you know, Romulan or make him like a Dominion guy for crying out loud, trying to stop Mm -hmm. the formation of the Federation, like anything, uh, but everybody's wanting everybody at this point was that was familiar with the history at this time period was wanting it to tie into the Romulan war somewhere somehow and make it a Romulan who's trying to change the outcome of the war by altering X, Y, and Z in the years leading up to it. Hey, that's a really interesting idea. I like that. I like that. Just saying. Yeah. They, they actually have caused it to where there's not even they the empire is three times the size because this particular event did not occur or something like that again that mm-hmm. kind of takes me back to the crenum in the year of hell where they had the something could come through and it was 98 percent almost of what they had but it was and the ships actually changed size the warships went from like battleships to just little frigates you know in an instant um, mm. That's pretty cool. I love that the uh, the smaller version, their warp nacelles, uh, de evolved into looking something like the uh, right. uh, TOS. Okay, we need to put this down. All right, this is our head cannon. Okay, w- w- boomers, <laughs> this is our head cannon for future guy. Okay. Also, I kind of, I yeah. kind of imagine that he's the guy, the the elusive man from Mass Effect. But you know, it- <laughs> oh yeah. So he's uh, he's Martin Sheen. Yeah. If you've uh, if you've read the uh, the DTI novels, though, they actually go into who he was and what his oh, motivations nice, were nice. in those All books. Right. And just for anybody who's curious, uh, I kind of go into that in Horizon too. So uh, you might want to check oh, nice. that out. Nice, we got, got got us a Horizon plug. Hey, so Tommy, what are, what are your final yeah. thoughts about the end of season one? How do you how did you how do you feel it stacked up? Like really coming up to this final cliffhanger. Uh, I thought it was actually pretty good. I know there's a lot of people that hate on season one, season two, and say that like only the last few seasons were good, but they had a lot of good stories uh, in this season. You know, I there were things that maybe I wish they would have done differently. Like I wish it would have been a little more serialized, or they'd put more thought into the temporal cold war. But I mean, that's a captain or uh, lieutenant hindsight or something. I don't know. But uh, I I thought it was a good season. You know, most of the episodes were pretty solid, even the funny ones like Trip getting pregnant. And, you know, they also, I think season one had uh, Dear Doctor in it, you know, which is a legendary episode. And, you know, the pilot, I liked the pilot. I thought it was good. So, and all the episodes tonight, except for Oasis, I really, really liked. So overall, good season with a lot of good shows and a lot of good stories. All right. Thank you. And Jeff, what what did you think about the capping off season one here? What, what did you think about this segment? Yeah, like Tommy was saying, I, I enjoyed all of these episodes to varying degrees. Uh, like I said, Oasis, I felt, was a little bit one of the weaker of the seven that we went into tonight. But uh, the others were really strong. I really enjoyed Vox Solo with its uh, um, radically alien alien. And I I liked the, the Temporal Cold War, but I 
just wish that it had been handled better. Uh, that's my only, uh, um, I, I hesitate to say complaint, but, uh, you know, that, that's the only thing that I, I disliked about, uh, the temporal cold war was just how it was handled on a, on a writing standpoint, uh, from just from the standpoint of it as a plot device, I thought it worked really well. Yeah. Just, I, for my final thoughts on season one here, wrapping it up, I thought this was a pretty solid segment. Uh, it didn't have like a dear doctor in it, but it's, it's finishing off pretty nice. This is a solid season one of star Trek. I put it right up there with the original series for a season one. I thought they got off to a really good start. They set the groundwork. Uh, I think a lot of people had a problem with wrapping their minds around a prequel after the fact, after they already know what happened on DS nine, after they already knew what happened on TNG, after they already knew what happened on original series, but really going back to seeing where some of the ideas for what we get to see in Kirk's time. I thought they did a really good job with season one here. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll put that right up there. And of course, you know, we've got season two coming up. We've got the season three Zindi arc, and then we get the season four, which to me is more of the prequel for toss season one, season two are more of a future for us closer to us only a hundred years ahead, but it'd be more like what we would be like stepping out into that starship. Then you get to the Zindi arc. Then you get to the prequel for toss. And then just think about it. I mean, come on, boomers. Think about it. You watch all these Trek series. Most of them, it took them three or four seasons to really get rolling. TNG, DS9, Voyager. It kind of took, it took them some time to get going. And I really think that season one of enterprise really got out there. They kicked the tires and lit the fires and they got out there and got to work. But it's been a lot of fun talking about the end of Enterprise Season 1. This isn't the only topic we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. Jordy is the one that's like, you know what? No, you're wrong. You're wrong about Data. I'm going to drop a challenge right here, and Data's totally going to step up to the plate, and you're going to get served, Plasky. And that's how LaForge created Moriarty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying it turned out good, but I mean, he had good intentions. The Orb. The Wadi, a fun-loving race from the Gamma Quadrant, arrive at DS9 eager to play a game with Cisco and the crew, one that appears to be a matter of life and death. All right, so are we moving along, Matthew? Oh, we're moving along. <laughs> Is there any redeeming value? The ready room. He's carrying in the lamb chop sock puppet <laughs> saying, She stayed at her post <laughs> while Charlie Horse ran. <laughs> <laughs> while Charlie Horse ran. <laughs> to the journey! It feels like I just won an Oscar and an Emmy and a Tony. All at the same time. And a People's Choice Award. And a Nickelodeon Award. Dang! So, yeah. So not quite an EGOT, but close. <laughs> Commentary, Trek Stars. I haven't seen Mean Girls. You haven't seen Mean Girls. I oh know. Everybody wants me to see oh Mean Girls. Oh my god. Yeah, you have to see Mean Girls. I mean, after yeah. Josie and the Pussycats, though. Oh, how I see with Josie and the Pussycats? The 602 Club. I actually like when they bring in the big container for the brain fish at the beginning. That's so weird. <laughs> and yeah, it, it, really it opens mysterious. up and it's, you know, speaking through the... And all the minions that have the, to mop up after it at the end. Yes. Yeah, I thought yeah, that was pretty no. funny. All the, it's like a slug trail. 
Um, you can actually see one of the guys while he's talking, kind of wandering around, mopping up. I was like, yeah. what is that guy doing? Literary tricks. You're totally right that when Atonement was done, I really did feel like um, everybody needed a break. Like a Not Kit Kat that bar? There wouldn't be challenges and obstacles and things, but I wanted the the next sort of series of adventures that they faced for a while to be more infused with the sense of wonder that sort of underpins all of Trek. Women at Warp. A F, which are the initials that Picard carved into Boothby's tree back on Starfleet Academy, and that is how he met Boothby the groundskeeper. Well, we never did learn Boothby's first and second name, did we? <laughs> it was all a ploy to get to hang out with Boothby. Meta Trex. If I look at the Abrams verse now, having talked it out, it seems like they're both an alternate timeline and uh, and an alternate reality at the same time. Not every sense of alternate timeline, not every sense of alternate reality, but there's at least one sense in which they overlap, and you can say you can have your cake and eat it too, and, and the Abrams verse is both at the same time. Melodic tricks. I wanted something for the chorus, you know, a phrase uh, describing them, which is uh, amazing. And I wanted to use a different word for that, uh, for amazing. And in this case, I, I, I sought out the, the African Swahili word, uh, kushangeza, which is an actual word that means amazing. And introducing Saturday Morning Trek, a show about the animated series and all things Trek in the 1970s. Chekhov was in the first season, but he was working on the third deck behind the boiler room and was ill with a condition called Malapropsky's malady, which is a kind of 23rd century version of Montezuma's revenge, and was hidden in the bathroom, ensconced there for hours and hours, while poor Mr. Connor's genetically engineered kidneys about to explode, pounded pitifully on the door, begging to be let in, until finally the door opens, Chekhov steps out, Khan looks at him and says, Your face, I remember. That's the best explanation I've ever heard. (laughs) You get the idea that I've told this story before. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe. You can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website at Trek.fm and grab the RSS link there as well. And if you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes, and it helps us to increase our visibility for new listeners. Yeah, Jeff, that getting more subscribers, if we have more people that they actually just subscribed in their iTunes apps on their new iPhones, somehow that works with iTunes algorithm and it helps other people see the show. And we get to, we get more talk in the Trek FM listeners group. We've got, uh, there's other groups on Facebook that are talking about enterprise right now. A lot of people are doing rewatches of star Trek and they're looking at enterprise. Some people are watching it for many times over. And then some people are seeing it for the first time because they want to do a full Trek rewatch. And boy, right now, this, this would be a great time to get into to Enterprise and just get into the Trek FM family. And one way that you can get help us out on the network and get into the family is actually through Patreon. So Jeff, could you tell our listeners what Patreon is all about? Well, uh, Patreon is a method of uh, supporting the network financially. We have a lot of uh, expenses, uh, any, everything from web space to bandwidth. And this is all done by uh, volunteers. So everything that uh, we can get to help cover those costs, it helps immensely. And 
to do that, you just go to patreon.com slash trekfm. And there are a number of different levels that you can go to uh, to support the network. Yeah, and I can tell you that I was I'm a fan of Trek FM. Like I've listened to the back catalog of nearly every show on Trek FM. I start I actually discovered Trek FM in April of 2014. And I had I had to have more of this. And then when I found out about Patreon.com that got started, Patreon.com slash Trek FM, I had to join. I I had needed to have my Trek talk and I, I was already addicted to it. I just loved it. And so I joined in as an associate producer because that was the level I wanted to be. But you don't have to go in even that high. Just as little as a dollar a month can get you started. And if you go up to $5 a month, you can actually access the patron zone, which is a little extra perk for Trek FM supporters. You get ringtones, you can get wallpaper, you can get some early access to shows. Although it's really difficult right now for us to get shows in early. We're trying, we're working on it. We're really, really working on it. But if you're at the $5 a month, you get access to the patron zone. And another perk that is huge that I was so happy with when I was already an associate producer, but they brought in the patrons round table and Jeff and I have both been on the patrons round table. And actually that was the very first podcast I was actually on was round table number two. And you can get on that at $15 a month. So it is, if you wanted to, if you ever want to be on podcasts, man, it is awesome. We get, we talk about anything and everything. It's completely open for anything that we want to talk about. Also, if you want to wear your Trek FM fandom, you can find great Trek FM themed merchandise at redbubble.com. Just type Trek FM into the search field and get you a cool t-shirt, get you a throw pillow. It's all there. Every episode, I also like to thank my co-associate producer, Mike Morrison. You can find Mike on the Babel Conference, Trek FM's dedicated Facebook listeners page. You can also hear Mike over on his new show, Metatrex, where he and Zachary Fruling discuss all things philosophical through a Star Trek lens. I also like to thank Christopher Jones, our audio editor and producer. And boy, we are so lucky to have the editor of Trek FM work in our audio So thank you so much, Christopher. Also, as many of you know, Jeff and I took over a couple of shows back as the new co-host of Warp 5. And I have to say that I've been so relieved with the great reception that we've received so far. So I'd just like to say special thank you to all the Warp 5 listeners out there that have been sending us well wishes uh, during this transition. I've been getting messages through Facebook. I've been seeing it on comments. I've been getting private messages. And thank you so much. This has been the support that we've been having on this new transition has been so uplifting. It really wants to make us push on farther. Maybe we can get to warp six soon. Uh, We're pushing the warp five. Maybe we can get that up to warp six. So if you'd like to contact us, you can also get in touch with us at trekfm slash contact. Look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm and please leave us a voice message. That would be so cool to play your voice message on a future show. You can also contact us through Twitter at trekfm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. You can also find us in the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trekfm and click discussion on the menu bar. So Tommy, if our listeners wanted to talk to you about how to handle a Romulan in a fight, because I know you're an expert at that now with the years that you've been putting in on Star Trek Horizon, how could they get in touch with you? 
Well, my first piece of advice would be to go to Malcolm and get his help because I'm terrible aim with a phaser. But if you need more advice from me, uh, or a phase pistol, I should say, um, you can get in touch with me via the Star Trek Horizon Facebook page. That's me that manages it, and that's uh, facebook.com slash horizon. That's all one word, or the official website, StarTrekHorizon.com, or just look me up on Facebook, Tommy Kraft, and that's Kraft with a K like the cheese. Uh, and that's those are my deets. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Tommy. It's been great. Uh, Jeff, if our listeners wanted to invite you to look at a subterranean garden, how could they get in touch with you? Well, if you don't have access to an Atavacron or some method of 30th century time travel technology from a temporal agent, then uh, you can reach me at the Babel Conference. I'm on there every day. Uh, if I'm not posting, I'm reading. I'm also on Twitter. I'm at Harlander. I also have uh, my website. It's been called The Grand Unified Theory of Star Trek at trekopedia.com. And boomers, if you'd like to get in touch with me or, hey, if you've got a starship headed to Ryza, but preferably I'd like the DS9 version of Ryza, maybe. I don't know. I... You know, if we if we have to go there, I guess I'll uh, I just won't be going down into any cellars. Uh, you can get in touch with me on the Babel Conference, the Trek FM Facebook listeners page. That's the quickest way to find me. I'm always reading on there just about every day I'm posting. So that would be definitely be the place to find me. So, guys, this has been a very fun discussion. Uh, it looks like chef shutting the place down for the night. Um, I'm going to grab a, the last piece of pecan pie to go. Is there anything you guys want to grab out of the cabinet before we go? I was going to get that. Now we're uh, going to have to fight over well, it. Dueling phase. Okay. Pistols. Well, I'll go ahead. I'll grab the apple pie. You can have the pecan pie. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. That's sweet of you. <laughs> All right, Jeff, let's go ahead and get out of here, man. <laughs> All right. Thank you everyone for listening and join us again next time here in the mess hall for another episode of Warp five. <laughs>